Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Episode 137 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks with a free month of unrestricted use to you right now. And you don't even need a credit card. How awesome is that? To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. When you fall off the horse, do you slip into the what-the-hell effect? Oh, I had a mouthful of ice cream. What the hell? I'll eat the remaining liter of it. Or do you go, this is how I get back onto the path? Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hello, and welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We talk about things like personal development, leadership, business, productivity, career, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and a lot more. And today, you and I get to sit down with Michael Bungay-Stanier. He's the author of The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. I plan to ask Michael about things like the three circles he talks about in his book that tend to plague us in the workplace, the essential components of effectively developing new habits. We'll dig into actually how to make those stick. Some of the keys to asking great questions, something I like to think I know a little bit about, and quite a bit more. And if there's time, we'll squeeze in a listener question as well. If you're running a business, our sponsor cloud accounting software FreshBooks is designed for you. If you're a lawyer, a marketing agency, a plumber, an interior decorator, IT professional, therapist, architect, web professional. In other words, if you create value for your customers by applying your time and expertise to other people's problems, FreshBooks is built specifically for you. FreshBooks is all about having created a product that helps save you time because they know you went into business to pursue your passion and serve your customers, not learn accounting. I've been using them for six, no, seven years, and I cannot recommend FreshBooks more highly. Currently, they're offering a month of unrestricted use, meaning you have access to all of FreshBooks features, and it's totally free, and you don't have to have a credit card to take advantage of this trial. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. That's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. And then just be sure to enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. One more time, that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Michael Bungay-Stanier is the author of several books, the best note of which is Do More Great Work, and he's especially proud of his book In Malaria. It's a collection of articles about great work from thought leaders that's raised about uh, almost half a million dollars for malaria, no more, and reached number two on Amazon, as a matter of fact. Michael's also the founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons. It's a company that helps organizations do less good work and more great work. And their focus is on helping time-crunched managers coach 
in 10 minutes or less. And that brings us to Michael's latest book. It's called The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. Michael, thank you so much for, for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, Jeff, I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. I mean, I love the tagline, you know, leaders read and readers lead. <laughs> and I've been a, a lifetime reader, both fiction and nonfiction everywhere, really. So mm. this is a perfect conversation. Well, well, though much of the book is written in the context of, of, of you know, traditional work and in jobs, I couldn't help as I read it, want to apply it to my work as a podcast coach and mentor, especially in the, in the area of interviewing. <laughs> Right. Say less, ask more, and change the way you podcast forever is how I want to read <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're not alone there. Uh, we, I mean, it's true. I wrote this, and I thought if I could pick one reader, who would it be? It would be a busy but engaged manager. Mm. She's keen. She likes her work. She's just trying to figure out how to work less hard but perhaps have more impact in her work. But the truth is we've had feedback from all sorts of people, and really – you know, if if you interact with other human beings, there's probably something in this book that's going to be useful for you. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, let's talk about that term a little bit, mm. Michael. Coaching, uh, it's it's more commonly used now than, than ever, but uh, in actual practice, it doesn't occur very often. And when it does, it doesn't seem to work, right? Right. So, so why do you, why do you think that is? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. There's kind of two worlds in the world of coaching. There's the external coach. So that might be the life coach or the executive coach that people have heard of or maybe even know. Um, and that coaching can work. You know, that's the person that shows up every two weeks or every month and has a one hour conversation about what you're trying to do and what support and what encouragement and what provocation do you need. You know, there's lots of good evidence that great coaches can really shift people's lives. My focus is really to these busy managers, these busy leaders going, look, I don't really want to be a coach, but I wouldn't mind being more coach-like. That feels like it could actually be useful. And again, it could be a manager. It could be just anybody, really. Um, but lots of organizations are saying to their managers and their leaders, okay, we, 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 we've understood, we've read the research. You've got, to be, you've got to start coaching people. And honestly, most people go, well, look, First of all, I don't want to be a coach. I've met coaches. I don't want to be like them. I'm just a normal person. Secondly, and probably more importantly, they say, look, I'm, I am already working 50 or 60 hours a week. I don't have time to add coaching to all of that. And thirdly, you know, it, coaching comes with a fair bit of baggage. You know, either it's complicated, you have to be a smart executive coach to make it work, or it's kind of got pastel-colored, touchy-feely life coachingness to it. And so it comes with baggage as well. So, you know, our take on it is to try and flip that around. So we say to people, look, we're not trying to make you into a coach. We just want you to be more coach-like. We're not trying to add to what you already do. We just want you to um, transform what you currently do so more of those interactions with other humans is actually a bit more coach-like. And you can do this in 10 minutes or less. Let me show you how. And lots of the tools in the book and the seven essential questions we talk about in the book are things that you can actually uh, kind of make happen really fast. Yeah, Michael says early on in the book uh, that it's not really all that hard, and, and he explains why it's it's worth the effort. Uh, Michael, uh, unpack for us, if you would, these three circles you talk about that, that often plague our workplaces. Right. So three kind of vicious circles that suck us down and keep us busy and ineffective. The first is having an over-dependent team. 
somehow you have trained the people that you manage and lead and influence to come to you as the answer, the solution. They've lost any ability to be self-sufficient or autonomous. And in fact, you may feel like you're becoming the bottleneck to your own team. Mm -hmm. Really familiar pattern. The second, perhaps even more common, just a sense of overwhelm. I mean, we are all so connected. We're so busy. We've got our gadgets attached to our hips. Mm -hmm. We've never felt, I don't know if we've never felt more overwhelmed, but, you know, there's lots of us who have too many to-dos on our to-do list, too many meetings on our calendar, too many emails in our inbox. So it's just that sense of how do I find the time and the focus to, to, to concentrate on the stuff that matters? And then the third is a sense of disconnect. And by that, I mean a sense of disconnect to the work that matters. You know, for too many people, it can feel like we're just little cogs in a big machine. And really, that's what my first book or one of my earlier books, Do More Great Work, addressed. You know, it says three basic types of work that show up in this world, bad work, good work, and great work. Bad work, waste of life, waste of time, bureaucracy, good work, your job description, great work the work that has more impact, and the work that has more meaning. And when we say the third vicious circle is a sense of disconnect, it's disconnect from great work. Um, when it comes to developing a habit, it starts with changing our behaviors. But there's, there's a lot of misinformation on the Internet and elsewhere about how to go about doing that. What, what is some of the misinformation that you've seen in that regard? Well, it's a great point. And, you know, I think the one that's most ubiquitous that most people have heard of is this whole, if you do something for 21 days, it becomes a habit. All right, all right. Um, and I've got to tell you, first of all, you know, I, what I used to say is that somebody's just made this up and now it, it haunts the Internet like a zombie idea that won't die. Right. But, you know, Jeff, actually, it turns out that it wasn't entirely just made up. Um, I'm sure other stuff that haunts the Internet is just made up, but not this. <laughs> but it's equally misguided. Um, its roots are actually in the world of plastic surgery. In the early days of plastic surgery, a surgeon noticed that it took somebody about three weeks, about 21 days, to get used to the new nose after they had it operated on. Mm. And somehow that got corrupted into if you do it for three weeks – 21 days, it becomes a habit. You know, not so much. Right. Um, it, 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 it depends entirely on who you are, what the habit is, what you've done before, all sorts of stuff. But if you had to have a number, most people are saying it's kind of like 64 to 66 days. So, you know, three times as long. Mm. Well, share with us, if you would, some of the, the, the essentials, the essential components that you've identified uh, to, to effectively build new habits. What, what, do we, what do we have to think about? Yeah, so the very first chapter of the book is about habit building because what I care about in the programs we run and in and this book is actually going, I want you to do something differently. Mm. I don't want you just to have a nice aha moment, although I want that as well. I want you to, to actually translate the aha, the insight, into action. And to that, I mean, the the building blocks for behavior change are habits and you need to know how habits work. And so – you know, there's a lot of good stuff out there about habits as well as a lot of bad stuff. And the people I particularly like are people like Charles Duhigg, mm. uh, The Power of Habit. I'm sure that's a book that's come up more than once in your discussions. Mm -hmm. uh, B.J. Fogg doesn't have a book out there but has a great website called tinyhabits.com. Uh, Leo Babauta, 
uh, author of Zen Habits and author of the blog of the same name, super influential in this space. But the five elements that you asked about, Jeff, are, first of all, you've got to have a reason for changing your habit. Um, Leo Babauta talks about having a vow that you make, something that really matters to you. If, if there's no reason for you to change the habit, if there's no re, uh, you know specific driver, it's really hard to actually change your behavior because you know why would you? And I like that, that this was tied into, if I recall, this concept specifically, if you need to, attaching it to, to someone else. That's right. Yeah, so with, for Leo's point, you know, what, one of the habits – I mean, he's just a great story. You know, when he started writing Zen Habits, he's just 50 pounds overweight, smoker, you know, out of shape, not happy with his life. You know, since then, through this diligent application of applying habits, he's lost his weight. He's run marathons and ultra marathons. He's become one of the world's biggest bloggers. He's stopped smoking. I mean, he's just kind of transformed his life. And, you know, annoyingly enough, he's still a nice guy. <laughs> Um, but the driver for him to give up smoking was thinking about his wife and his kids. And that gave him a reason beyond just the, the reasons like I'm going to save money or it's better for my health, which didn't quite resonate for him. The second part of, of building a habit is understanding what your trigger is. And, uh, this really comes from Charles Duhigg's work. Uh, well, he, he, he made it apparent to me, Mm. which is if you don't know what the thing is that sets you off then it's really impossible to change your behavior because you're already halfway through it before you notice it. So what's the context, the trigger, the cue that sets you off? The third part is building a micro habit. So this really draws on BJ Fogg's work where he says, look, if you're going to define a new habit, define it in a way that takes 60 seconds or less to complete. Because if it's any bigger and more complex than that, Mm. our big brain will basically hack the system and you'll just default to the status quo. The fourth element effective practice and for this i really drew on the work of dan coyle uh, and he's and he popularized for me anyway a concept called deep practice mm. there's a new author out there i, call, I think a guy called erickson who's probably the originator of this his, his new book is called peak and it's just the insight that if you practice something mindfully deliberately with awareness Doing that for, say, six minutes is far more effective than just kind of going through the motions for half an hour. Deliberate practice, deep practice can really shift your behavior. And then the final piece is just a, you know, part number five, which is just have a plan when things go wrong because it will go wrong. You know, you will fall off the horse. When you fall off the horse, do you slip into the what the hell effect? (laughs) Oh, I had a mouthful of ice cream. What the hell? I'll eat the remaining liter of it. Or do you go, this is how I get back onto the path? So those are the five elements. Excellent. And I, I think if, if I remember correctly, Dan's book that you referenced specifically, was that The Talent Code? Is that right? It is The Talent Code. Okay. I mean, he's written a few books. Uh, he wrote one called I can't, something like, you know, A Dummy's Guide to the Talent Code. It's not exactly that, which is, is kind of easier to read. But I think The Talent Code is one of the, the really good books out there. Right. I, I recommend it thoroughly. Well, help us now if you can uh, leverage these components now into the into the formula you've developed for uh, for effectively developing, I should say, new habits. Maybe some concrete examples of wa- and walking us through like an actual version. Sure. So we call it the new habit formula, and having understood those five elements, you'll understand exactly where and where it comes from. And it just sounds like this: when this happens, that's when you articulate the cue, the, the trigger, mm-hmm. instead of. That's when you get clear on what the old behavior is that you want to do differently. I will. 
And that's when you define a new habit that will take 60 seconds or less to complete. Mm. So Jeff, for instance, is trying to elevate his podcasting game already at an extremely high level, but he wants to go to the next level. Mm. There was spinal tap. He's trying to take it to 11 at this stage. <laughs> and, and what he's noticing is that when he has a guest who talks uh, too much like me, <laughs> He um, he tends to let it run instead of kind of seizing control of the conversation. And he wants to just seize the control of the conversation a little bit. So here's how it sounds. When a guest has spoken for more than four minutes without stopping, instead of sitting there feeling anxious but allowing them to just go on and on and on and monologue, <laughs> I will interrupt them by saying or her by saying, look, this is great, but I'm just going to interrupt you for a moment because I want to ask you this question. And you can see there that we've defined a very specific moment, a very specific occurrence, an old behavior, and then a brand new behavior to try out. So that next time when you're sitting there and you're five minutes into somebody monologuing, <laughs> you'll be able to go, oh, I've got, I can try out my new habit here, and you just put it into play. Mm. I just fix it all in post-production. That's what. Well, there we go. That's your other plan. No, that, that's a great example, though. Thank you. Thank you for simplifying that for, for sure. us. I appreciate that. Describe for us, if you would, the three P's that you talk about and, and how they help us determine what to focus on in a coaching conversation that we're having. Yeah, you know, the, the origin of this, Jeff, was that I noticed that too many of the conversations that I was trying to lead and guide stayed a little bit superficial for me. You know, they tended to be about the stuff that we're working on and the stuff we're trying to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. That can be really powerful. But it's sometimes useful to go a little deeper, a little more powerful. Mm. So the, here are the three Ps. And they just give you kind of three loci of, of focus. Maybe that's, you call them foci. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, but here they are. The first one is projects. So that is really about the stuff that's being worked on. Really good place to start. That's where most people start. The second P stands for people. In other words, what's going on with the people involved in the project? You know, those pesky relationships, those pesky things. And often when you turn the focus to the relationship side of it, that's often where there's more mess, more complexity, more difficulty. And the third P is patterns. And by patterns, I mean your own patterns of behavior that are potentially compromising or getting in the way of your success in the way that you work. So you see, as you work down those three P's from projects to people to patterns, it becomes more and more you focused and it becomes more and more kind of vulnerable and intimate as you go there. Now, you don't have to use all three every time you have a conversation. Mm -hmm. But where I think a lot of conversations start and finish is just on that project level. And it can be just that much more powerful to say, got it. So, Jeff, I understand everything that's going on with this thing. But let me just ask you about Bob and, your, and how it's working out with Bob. What's the key challenge there for you? And then you're into a whole nother, perhaps more interesting conversation. One of the things I enjoyed uh, as I got ready for this interview is I went to uh, Michael's website and watched uh, several of the very uh, quite entertaining uh, videos uh, that he has there. I encourage you to uh, to check those out. One in particular uh, dives into uh, the five disciplines of asking a great question. Is this something you'd be willing to give us a, an overview of? My, my lack of willingness more reflects the fact that I'm not entirely sure what the five disciplines are rather than I'm not prepared to share them. But let me make up five disciplines. 
and 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 we can see which ones that I, I are the same as on the video that I watched. But actually, in the book itself, I think there are seven or eight kind of question asking masterclasses. So it kind of you know it draws from all of that. Sure, sure. Um, when you ask a question, start asking the question immediately. Too many people do this long wind up going blah, 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 blah. You think it's to try and make the other person feel better. It's actually to try and make you feel better, to pluck up your courage as you ask the question. And the metaphor or the, the example we give is you need to think like James Bond, like the director of a James Bond movie. And when you start a James Bond movie, there's no kind of like long prelude to building up to the action. It's like, bang, you're right in the action right away. Mm. And so, so too, when you have a question, it's like, if you want to ask the person, what's the real challenge here for you? Ask the question, what's the real challenge here for you? And then here's Mm -hmm. the second discipline, then shut up and actually listen to the answer. Mm. There's too many of the times we ask a question and then we spend the rest of the time in our own head worrying about the next question we're going to ask. Or honestly, just going, I just want you to stop talking so I can tell you what to do now. <laughs> and a lot of podcast interviewers do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So there you go. There's, there's two of the disciplines. Did you, did you notice anything on your list there, Jeff, or do you want me to keep making stuff up? <laughs> <laughs> well, a couple of things that stuck with me, and this is from from the book uh, as well, and I, I practice this today. Uh, I, I had a, a young man that wanted to meet with me. He's recently been laid off from his job, and when we first sat down, I leveraged, uh, you know, questions like what's on your mind and um, follow ups like and what else uh, and what else. Right. Uh, and, and, and it's simple, but it's so effective at the same time. You know, there's a there's a quote I love, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, you know, one of the great American jurists. And and he said, I'll, I'll mangle it slightly, but he said something like, look, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I'd give anything for simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm. And honestly, that's what I've tried to do. That's what I've aspired to do in this book, which is I want people to read this book and go, this is simple and straightforward and accessible and usable and doable. And for everybody listening in, those two questions that Jeff asked are actually the first two questions in the book. What's on your mind? Great opening kickstart question. And then, and what else? A great way to deepen the conversation. But behind it, that simplicity is the kind of the rigor of discipline, the rigor of curation, the rigor of I've tested these out and I know that they work. So we've tried to get to the other side of complexity. I haven't given you the 295 questions that Michael think might be useful sometimes. I'm <laughs> like, here are seven essential questions that if you master them can really elevate the way that you manage and lead. What are, you, what are your thoughts in this context, Michael, when it comes to rhetorical questions? My basic stand, Jeff, would be to say, look, how do we keep this as clean and transparent and simple as possible? So one of the traps people fall into is kind of asking the question where they're like, I'm trying to get you to say the answer I want you to say, rather than I'm asking a question and I don't really know what your answer might be. I'm curious to hear what it is. Um, I think rhetorical questions, you know, they come across as rhetorical questions. They can be useful at times. More, less useful are those questions where you're like, I'm kind of leading you somewhere I'm, I'm asking you a closed question. It's really, I, I'm, I've cunningly disguised my advice as a question. You know, that sounds like, have you thought of, or did you try, or have you considered? Right. That, right. Those aren't questions. That's just advice with a question mark attached at the end. So, you know, there's a place for rhetorical questions. What I'm trying to get people to do is 
find and use and stick to the more powerful questions. Yeah. And that's something that was eye-opening for me. Again, simple but eye-opening in the sense that I find myself often um, giving advice in the form of a question and, and not realizing I was doing that. Uh, and, and I was tempted to do that today in, in that meeting I talked about earlier. Uh, so it's very, very good stuff. And I found this book, too. One of the things I liked about it, Michael, was just um, I, I love books that are easy to consume. Uh, and I like the way this book is laid out, and, and I like the, the the pages with the quotes pulled out, and I like the short chapters, and it just seems to have a nice flow, and just an it's just an easy read. Well, I, I'm really passionate about that because um, you know, great. I'm, I'm up in Canada. A great Canadian theorist, Marshall McLuhan, says the medium is the message. Mm. So I need this book to embody a sense of curiosity and openness and, and playfulness. But honestly, I just think most business books are terribly designed. I mean, I picked up this book that I think is going to be really good once I can find the, the kind of gumption to read it. <laughs> but it's in like small print. It's dense. And I could just feel my heart sink. And I'm like, oh, man, it's, going to, it's not going to be something that's going to pull me along. I'm going to have to push my way through the text here. Yeah. And so we we spent a lot of time on the design of the book so that we wanted people to have the experience that you're talking about, which is it felt an easy read, not as a, not as a derogative term, but as a accessible, playful, right. interesting read. Yeah, and after when I said easy read, I, I almost chimed in again that that's how I meant it. I didn't mean it yeah, in a derogatory I, I took, sense. I took, no, I took it like that. For <laughs> definitely, sure. definitely. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of questions that I do want to ask that aren't directly related to the book. But before yeah. I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that, that we uh, walk away with? You know, the basic structure of the book is that first chapter that we dug into with Jeff, yeah. which is around what is a habit and how do you build habits? Because I want when you get to the seven core questions, I want you to be thinking about how do I turn them into a daily habit so that I shift the way that I work? Because when it comes to it, we're after a single type of behavior change, which is can you stay curious just a little bit longer? And can you give advice and rush to action just a little bit slower? That's the fundamental behavior change we're hoping for. And these seven questions will help you get there. One of the things, too, that I appreciate about the book is the numerous references to other books that have impacted Michael's thinking and, and his work. I'd be curious to know, Michael, uh, if there's a book or two uh, over the last several years that have had a really big impact on you. If you could narrow it down to one or two, what would you say uh, those are? I love a book by uh, an Italian author now dead called Italo Covino called Invisible Cities. Mm. And it's kind of like a, a prose poem. I gave this to one of my friends and he's like, this is the worst book I have ever read. <laughs> but he, it's like this, it's a conversation between Genghis Khan and Marco Polo. And um, just kind of telling about these amazing cities that he's visited, all of which are imaginary. Mm. But what's beautiful is not just the writing, but the structure of it. It's just a fantastically well-structured book where it's hard to explain, but it just feels like different layers of city, types of cities. Well, hard to explain other than the structure I found deeply inspiring. Um, there's a book by Bill Bryson, Short History of Nearly Everything. Now, if you haven't read any Bill Bryson, mm. you have a total treat ahead of you because <laughs> his, his, his travel writing, which is what he's best known for, is just fantastic. And mm. some of his early books about England and Australia and hiking the Pacific Northwest Trail are just truly wonderful. But a short history of nearly everything is he kind of gets into science and is like, I want to make science cool for people because it's kind of scary and alienated and unknown to most of us. 
And, you know, Jeff, you said I, I wield a good metaphor or two. Honestly, Bill Bryson is the metaphor king of the universe. <laughs> um, and I just found this book incredibly inspiring because, amongst other things, it points to just what a fluke it is that we are alive on this planet today. It's just it's just one billion different things could have gone slightly differently and there would be no life on the planet. We all got lucky. <laughs> you know, um, so you know, enjoy life while you can. And then I, I guess the book that probably philosophically lies behind the new one, The Coaching Habit, mm. I'd probably point to Edgar Schein's book, Helping. He's, he's one of the great thinkers of our time in, in management. He's contributed to understanding organizational culture, understanding the power dynamic of giving and taking, uh, understanding career anchors. I mean, he's really done a lot. He's a, a retired professor at MIT. Um, and his book, Helping and the kind of companion book called Humble Inquiry are both wonderful. Excellent uh, recommendations. I don't know that any of those have been mentioned on the show before. So those are nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know you do quite a bit of, of keynote and public speaking and mm. um, uh, considered just a top notch speaker all around. And, and one question I like to ask uh, most guests, and you certainly would be one, is your, your tips uh, that you can share for. Uh, delivering an impactful and, and memorable public talk? Well, I think that what I do is I'd point you to a resource, and this is actually a friend of mine. Mm. So it's a TEDx talk. Okay. And you want to look up Mark Bowden or Bowden, B O W D E N. His company is actually called Truth Plane, T R U T H. P-L-A-N-E, and he's got some good books out. But the easiest thing to do is go to the TEDx talk. So TEDx, Mark Bowden, Mark with a K. And you'll see him, he, he's, a, he's a master at nonverbal communication. Mm. And what he's going to give you insight into is how to use your body to not only manage and engage the audience, but to manage and control your own nerves and anxiety and energy, mm. if you like. And um, I learned a lot from Mark in terms of my presence and how to to manage myself through the very simple techniques that, that he gives. You know, it's the same as with writing, Jeff, which is you have to be bad before you get good. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes a while to find what your style is, what you do, what you don't do, what humor level works, what content works. So just to say that if you're feeling like you're not very good at the moment, every speaker ever has been not very good. Mm. Um, then they've worked at their craft and they've, they've deliberately practiced. They've listened to your top tips on your podcast and they've got better at it. So mm. practice, try stuff out, find the way that you're not just regurgitating what everybody else is saying in the same way, but but you know, find your your interesting point of view on stuff. Mm. Uh, well, I'd be curious to know since the book has now been out for several months, what's around the corner? What are you and your team working on now that that uh, you're excited about, if anything? Well, we really want this book to be a classic. So, mm. one, I'm actually going to make a shameless request here. <laughs> if you've picked up the book. And you're so moved if you had a chance to read it and you're so moved. I would be very grateful for a review on Amazon.com. One of the things that we kind of noticed about books that I consider classics is they typically have over a 1,000 reviews on Amazon.com. Mm. And so my goal is by March 1st next year, which is the birthday of the book, to have a 1,000 reviews. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get close to it, but I'm going to, I'm going to go down nobly. It's going to be a noble failure. <laughs> 
and we're at you know 260 something at the moment so it's 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 been very positive so far and then for us you know we're uh we're at a bit of a crossroads with my company box of crayons um uh, and I think what we're going to do is we're actually going to be start kind of expanding a little bit our footprint, uh, bringing in a, a couple more people to work with. And that's very exciting for us. You know, we're a small company. We're now slightly less small. And we're just going through that process of learning how to be a, a bit more grown up. Excellent. Well, the book, again, is called The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead. Michael Bungay-Stanier, thank you so much for uh, sharing your expertise and, and your time. I really, really appreciate it. Jeff, it's been a total pleasure. Thanks for your time. As always, you'll find more about Michael and the uh, litany of resources he mentioned at the show notes page we've created just for this episode. It's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 137. You'll also find a link there to a website with more about this guy. It's our listener question from Alex. Hey, Jeff. It's Alex Barker from the 66-Day Experiment podcast. My question for you is, how do you evaluate opportunities and say no to things? You know a little bit about me and you know that I'm a hustler. I've got a lot of things going on. I have quite a few businesses that are growing for me. And in season three of my show, The 66 Day Experiment, I built a business in 66 days online. And I feel like this is awesome. So for season four of my show, what I want to do is I want to coach two to three people for 66 days and help them build businesses online, lifestyle businesses. And I have so many other ideas, so many other things and opportunities that come my way that I feel overwhelmed with things. And every time I see a new opportunity, I think this is what I need to do. I know that from reading a lot that you know, with success comes more opportunities and more opportunities for disaster. So how do you doing this stuff full time? You know, I'm, I'm only doing this on the side. How do you look at your opportunities and say, this is an amazing opportunity, but it's not for me right now. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you, Alex. Great question. And I'm a big believer in spending your life on paper uh, before it comes time to actually live it. Uh, what I mean by that is think in terms uh, of a budget. If you follow Dave Ramsey at all, you know he encourages you and, and what a budget essentially is, is spending your money on paper before spending it for real so that, as he says, when you get to the end of the month, you've told your money where you want it to go instead of wondering where it went. Well, I think life happens in much the same way. A lot of us get to the end of a year or the end of a quarter or whatever that time frame is or the end of life, and we wonder where all the time went instead of getting to the end of that time frame, having lived the life we wanted because we were intentional about it in the first place. And so uh, for me, that involves making plans for the year before the year starts, uh, the quarter, setting goals. So whether you call it goals or plans really matters not. But the thing is, you have to map those out. And I know you're the kind of person who is, is capable of doing this if you're not already doing some of these things. So determine in advance the two or three most important things for you are in a given, say, quarter. And as you determine what those two or three main things are, it may just be one thing. Your quarter, in this example, needs to have ample time in it for you to give 
to that thing. And that most important thing or two or three or however many it is has to take precedence. If something new comes along that you didn't anticipate and your response to that new thing is, wow, I have to say yes to this or I really want to say yes to this. And you determine that that opportunity helps you realize goals and dreams that are even bigger than what you'd initially plan, then that's probably something that you want to say yes to. However, if it's anything less than that, if it doesn't easily fit into one of the one or two or three things that you have mapped out for that quarter, then it's probably something that you need to say either no to or not right now to. A book you may have already read and one we've featured here on the show is a book written by Michael Hyatt and Daniel Harkavy. It addresses creating a life plan head on, and the book is called Living Forward. And I'll include a link in the show notes for this episode to that episode in case you want to dig in a little deeper. The only way to know ultimately what to say no to is if the things that must happen in a given quarter or year have already been green-lighted. Knowing what those things are in advance of the time will be the only way you'll know when to turn something down. Thank you so much, Alex, for that fantastic question. If you have a question you'd like to have answered on the show, whether it's regarding a topic we discuss here on the show on a regular basis about making the transition from a regular job or, say, podcasting, then just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash question and leave a voicemail or write to me at jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Please consider that free trial from FreshBooks, a 30-day trial where you get access to all of FreshBooks features. No credit card needed. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. want to say a big thanks to Mac105, giving Read to Lead a five-star rating and written review in iTunes, calling it a great podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. That does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.